That's what she said. Episode 3.0. The Coup. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go I just came from your place Where you said don't be late When I showed up you weren't there I'm tired of all the this And welcome to the third episode of That's What She Said a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I am your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the third episode of Season 3, entitled The Coup, which aired Thursday, September 28, 2006. By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes, and its name is Dewangela. They say behind every great man is a great woman, and behind every Dwight, is, well, something else. We're headed into a war zone, folks. Hang on to your hats. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? Well, scuttlebutt this week is that I am all by myself here at the water cooler. My uh, junior sales associate, Ian, is off on a sales call this week, but hopefully he will be back for the next episode. Also, I'd like to apologize for the lateness of the episode here. I normally like to have these up and posted by Saturday evening. However, I have been uh, struggling through a bout of sickness the last two weeks and just felt a little too out of it yesterday, really, to put through the episode. So hopefully no one is too upset about that. Well, let's talk about the coup. I taught uh, the play Macbeth for years to advance high school juniors, and the coup plays out a similar tragedy in modern-day Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, when Michael drops the ball with Jan yet again, Lady McAngela accosts Dwight and convinces him to make a play for Michael's job. And needless to say, it does not quite go as they expect it to. Uh, you know, I hate to get too literary on everybody here, but this is does play out very similarly to Macbeth. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the story, Macbeth basically the story of a Scottish warrior, a lord who, uh, upon returning home from a battle, is accosted by three witches who put in his mind the idea that uh, someday he is going to be the king. Now, telling this to his wife, his wife then takes it upon herself to decide that she's going to help her husband along to get what he deserves. And she's not going to just let him sit around and wait for the king to die of old age. No, they're going to take an active part in getting rid of him. And that is exactly what we have going on in this episode. Now, what softens up Michael? What, what makes everyone seem to think that he might be ripe for the overtaking? Well, it's a little something he likes to call Movie Monday. Movie Monday! 
only cure I know for the Monday blues is Varsity Blues. Movie Monday started with training videos, but we went through those pretty fast. Then we watched a medical video. Since then, it's been half-hour installments of various movies, with the exception of an episode of Entourage, which Michael made us watch six times. Not everyone approves of Movie Monday. I won't say who. I don't approve. I don't. Hi, Graham. Hope you brought the milk beds. How would a movie increase productivity, Michael? How on earth would it do that? People work faster after. Magically. No. They have to, to make up for the time they lost watching the movie. No. Basically, you know, a half an hour of watching a film per week. I don't know. To me, that does not seem like the crime of the century. And as we'll talk about later on when we get into the deleted scenes, I it does seem to be the case that Jan is picking on Michael, uh, at least giving him no slack, no benefit of the doubt, uh, compared to some of the other people in the other branches. Um, and based on the whole what Jim was up to in the Stanford office this episode, yeah, a half an hour of a movie per week does not seem like that great of a crime. Now, obviously, then we have Angela being the one, the only one in the office who refuses to participate in the, the movie Monday. And she sees Michael is getting them in trouble, that Jan has it out for him, and that she thinks it's time for Dwight to act. And she calls then a meeting in the kitchen. You sat back and let him play that dumb movie, and now Jan has peeved off and we're all going to lose our jobs. That's not going to happen. You know she has it out for him now. That's not his fault. He had to follow his heart. Ever since Michael dumped Jan for Carol, Jan's been bitching out on him. Reject a woman and she will never let it go, one of the many defects of their kind. Also weak arms. Dwight, you should be running this office. Michael would never let me. I know that patience and loyalty are good and virtuous traits, but sometimes I just think you need to grow a pair. A couple of great lines right in that little clip right there. Um, the He had to follow his heart line is pretty classic, pure Dwight. Also Dwight worrying the fact that Michael won't let him take over the branch, do you think? But, you know, the truth of the matter is that uh, they probably do have some cause for concern here. Ever since the first season, they haven't really been harping too much on that one of the branches is going to be downsized kind of angle, but they do bring it up every once in a while. Uh, they brought it up a little bit in the convention episode last week where Josh, uh, the manager from Stanford, brought it up again. So is that going to happen? Will it happen? Who knows? They they keep teasing it. So on the one hand, Angela isn't necessarily a total cold, heartless bitch. She does have some concern for her job. She might be downsized, as will a lot of the other people there. So concern seems necessary. And that leads into Dwight basically psyching himself up uh, in typical Dwight fashion, to uh, to make the call to Jan and you know we've seen this many times before Dwight in his psych ups where he's uh, usually in that stairwell playing Motley Crue or something getting himself all all jazzed up and and then in this episode down in the parking lot running wind sprints in order to get himself psyched now he does call Jan makes an appointment uh, reveals that he knows way way too much about Jan's shopping habits which uh, I, I don't really quite know what to make of that. A little creepy, perhaps. A lot creepy, perhaps. But eventually then, Dwight puts it all on the table at, uh, at the local restaurant with Jan. The decision to turn on Michael was difficult. 
But once I did it, I didn't look back. And mostly I feel that Michael would approve. It's really what's best for the branch. And again, we see Dwight just being so clueless. The fact that, uh, yeah, I think Michael would approve of, uh, of me stabbing him in the back and stealing his job because it's what's best for the branch. Now, I don't know anybody in the world, maybe except for Dwight, that could possibly believe that to be the case, that what's best for the branch, I, I don't think so. And, you know, as we'll find out later on, Dwight is uh, in for quite a world of hurt here as his plan starts to crumble. To tell you the truth, Dwight, okay, he is the number one best salesman in the company. So does he have what it takes to be manager? Well, obviously he has the salesman skills, but no people skills whatsoever, of course. We have him telling Jan that uh, you know his idea to cut, uh, cut down costs is to fire half the people in the office and that he doesn't care anything about his coworkers and that he'll do anything to get ahead now I guess sometimes this uh, this could work but Jan and any of the other managers just don't regard Dwight with any respect whatsoever so this is I mean the offer is laid on the table and Dwight is quite serious there and then as soon as Dwight leaves we get Jan calling back to Michael and letting him know what's going on Oh, that's nice. No, it wasn't. Dwight just told me that he thinks he can run the branch better than you. What? Mm-hmm. You were at the dentist? You can't have people undermining you. Get control of your branch immediately. Okay. What was I thinking? That he could turn Jan against me? She's my ex-lover-ish. <laughs> I just, I, I cracked up with that line, too, where Michael's like, oh, you were at the dentist? He's so clueless. He has no, who would possibly think that such a, a bootlicker as Dwight would ever do something so devious? So he's quite taken aback. And the truth of the matter is that, yeah, you know, there is that kind of club there with the management. And Michael has become a manager, and he's part of that upper management team. And Dwight, however high his sales numbers are, is probably never going to get to that same point as the other managers. So instantly, the plan is <laughs> unveiled. Michael knows Everybody knows what uh, Dwight is up to, and all that's left then is, uh, what is Michael going to do? And this is the thing I was really wondering about, because part of the reason why I really liked this plot thread in this episode was the fact that I wasn't sure what he was going to do. Now, was he going to go off on him immediately? Was he going to uh, you know, mess around with him? What was going to happen? And I don't even know if Michael knew what he was going to do. But when, uh, when Dwight returns to the office, then we have a titanic battle of wits that take place where Michael tries to catch Dwight in his lie. Hey, Dwight. Hey. You want an M&M? No, thanks. I'm stuffed. No, seriously. You should have an M&M. They're really good. Okay. Good, huh? Oh, good. I thought you weren't supposed to eat anything for a couple of hours after you've had a crown put in. I have this new kind of quick-drying bonding. So... Uh. Sounds like a good dentist. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Crentist. Your dentist's name is Crentist. Sounds a lot like dentist. Maybe that's why he became a dentist. Let me see your teeth. <laughs> so, I mean, again, there's this battle of the titans there with two dim bulbs battling each other, trying to trip each other up. Uh, Michael's big plot with the M&M's and Dwight's amazing power of improv. 
Dr. Crentist, indeed. Of course, Michael knows what's up, and he's not really sure, as I said. At this point, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He keeps messing with Dwight. I'm, you know, I'm assuming that he wants Dwight to confess. He wants to make Dwight feel guilty about what he's done. He really wants to rub it in. And unfortunately, he can only wait so long, and he has to call Dwight into his office. And while he's waiting, while he's kind of thinking over what he's going to do, he uh, he comes up with this just another one of those Michael kind of philosophical discussions where uh, it, things just don't quite work out the way that he had planned them to. Business is like a jungle, and I am like a tiger, and Dwight is like a monkey that stabs a tiger in the back with a stick. Does the tiger fire the monkey? Does the tiger transfer the monkey to another branch? Pun. There is no way of knowing what goes on inside the tiger's head. We don't have the technology. Except for the fact that uh, Michael has equated himself with the tiger, so I guess that uh, we sort of do know what's going on in the tiger's head. Again, it's lost on Michael and his philosophical meanderings. The case remains that, yes, uh, Dwight the monkey has stabbed the tiger in the back of the stick. And so, what is he going to do? Well, Michael's got to confront him. He's got to have something come out of this. And ultimately, what uh, what happens then is that sort of halfway through, I think, his confrontation, he decides that he is going to mess with Dwight. And instead of just yelling at him or firing him or whatever the case may be, he is going to just really, really make him suffer, really torture the guy. He's going to give him just enough rope to hang himself with, and Dwight definitely does quite a good job with that. Dwight, can I talk to you for a second? <sighs> wow, this is tough. What? I just got off the phone with Jan, and um, she demoted me. No. Yeah. You know what the craziest part of this is? She demoted me to your job. And she said that you should be expecting a call later from corporate. And that, um, I guess that means that you are going to be acting manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. I can't believe this news. I told her I didn't know whether you'd want to do it. Because you've always been so loyal to me. You've been my most trusted ally. You said that? Yep, I did. But I think you should do it. Oh, gosh, if you think I should, then I will. Perfect. Well, we're settled. All right. All right. Well, then you are now acting manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton Branch, and I am assistant regional manager. Assistant to the regional manager. Thank you, Michael, for staying on. I really appreciate it. Oh. Hey, hey. I can't imagine this place without you. Can't you? That's so nice. And so, again, we see that Dwight, for the last two seasons, has tried everything in his capacity to make himself seem more important and that gag with the uh, assistant regional manager or assistant to the regional manager uh, we've seen that play out all through the last two seasons with Michael basically shutting Dwight down you know telling him no no it's basically just a title no it, there's no power to it no you're not the uh, assistant regional manager and uh, as soon as Dwight has the opportunity then he's got that turned right back around 
and all his respect. It just shows us all of his respect for Michael, all of his bootlicking for Michael. You know, everything that he's ever done to curry favor with Michael has all just been a strategy. It's been an act. Are these guys friends? Do they have a Smithers-Burns kind of relationship there? You know, we'd think so. We would have possibly thought so before. But Dwight, now promoted to management, supposedly, himself he's shown his true colors that uh, he is a heartless bastard and he holds uh, no friendship there and this next line is the one that really cracks me up because just from two seasons of just being so obsequious then we have dwight responding to michael in this way well um i guess we should go tell the troops yeah when i'm ready mike <sighs> okay let's do it yeah when i'm ready mike <laughs> So again, just another sign of disrespect, a sign of the fact that, you know, hey, I'm in charge. I don't really need to worry about you anymore. I don't need to curry your favor. You know, you need to start kissing my butt. Dwight, oh, Dwight, you're in for such such a fall. Now, after, um, you know, after Michael and Dwight go out there and they make the big announcement, the fact that Dwight will be taking over as the new branch manager, it's actually kind of touching because most of the people in the office, as much as they might dislike Michael as a boss, they actually show some concern for his well-being. You know, they ask, what you know, what are you going to do? Phyllis is concerned. Uh, Kevin is concerned. Ask him if he has any savings. Worried that he might lose his condo. All these other things, you know. And it's actually kind of kind of touching because, like I said, as, as bad as he is, you could get a lot worse than Michael as your boss. And now, so what is Pam's reaction to the news that Dwight's being the new manager? I have this old vacuum cleaner that's broken. If Dwight doesn't work out, maybe that could be manager. And then we get Phyllis actually saying that she's probably going to quit. And uh, things just don't look real rosy in the office. Now, you'd think that now that they've gotten this to come true, and now that Dwight uh, thinks that he's gotten his heart's desire, and... Angela has earned, spurred her man on to action, and he's been successful, that things would be uh, all hunky-dory there, and we'd have our uh, Lord and Lady Macbeth taking on the world. But uh, unfortunately, Dwight is such a dick that the power goes to his head, and in fact, he even turns against his ally. It's really happening. Yes. We can make a difference here. I will make a difference here. You alone? I thought together. Oh, please, don't be naive. But you can be in charge of the women. So you can be in charge of the women. And I'm not really sure what to read on her face after that uh, episode because Angela seems to actually sort of, I don't know, be like a little bit happy, satisfied with that, uh, that she can be in charge of the women somehow. I don't really know what that means exactly, but maybe that's enough for her. Now, this is one of those things that uh, that we've seen built up over the last year or so because, you know, as Angela said previously, that she needs a man. She wants that man to uh, to have a pair and to be bold and to be uh, a disciplinarian and all those kinds of things. As we saw in the um, Bring Your Daughters to Work Day episode where she was pleased as punch when uh, when Dwight basically told off Meredith's son and uh, and told him where to go and called him a horrible latchkey child and all these other things it basically made him cry and and she just seemed so pleased and, and proud of him in that moment so are we seeing cracks in uh, in the facade of the paradise here well it can only take so much and 
Michael, still kind of playing with Dwight, still messing a lot, you know, messing with him, takes it just one step too far. Well, I uh, guess it's time that I turn over the keys to the famous Sebring. No, thank you. It's a corporate lease, Dwight. You've earned it. No, thanks. What? Not my style. But you said you liked it. You've always admired it. And but that was before. I'm thinking about getting something German, something with decent gas mileage. Plus, the convertible is a ridiculous choice for this climate. Take it back. No. That's my car. What did you That's my car! So never, never insult a man's ride. Never diss the Sebring. Now, Michael has been so proud of this car for the last two seasons or so. You know, he showed it off to Ryan during the fire episode. In the episode where Michael, you know, in the Olympic episode where, where Michael and Dwight go off to uh, to check out his, his new condo, Dwight is just, he can't control himself. He's futzing, messing around with the convertible, lowering and raising the roof and everything else. So now, again, now that there is no, you know, now that he's not being Michael's lackey, all the pretension is gone. So Dwight, no, 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 thanks. No, I don't like that car. No, it's stupid. No, whatever. And that's really just what it is that sends Michael over the edge. It's just too much. Insulting the Sebring, just one step too far. Now, of course, as in all classical tragedies, we have the rise to power of a man, and then, of course, to be a tragedy, it has to be accompanied by a very, very far fall. And Dwight is about to get that in spades. I know, Dwight. I know, I know, I know. You know what? Jan called me about your little meeting. No. I know what you did. I made the whole thing up. It's white. The Sebring's cool. Oh, do you? Do you like it? How dare you? How dare you, Dwight? Don't fire me. Please. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't fire you right here on the spot. I'm excellent sales numbers. Not good enough. I'll do anything. Anything. Please, I'll do your laundry for a month. For a year. I have a laundry machine. I'm sorry of anything I do. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. You can't. You can't. But I promise I'll never betray you again. Uh, what can I do, Michael? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You can get up. And you can hug it out, bitch. Hug it out, bitch. That is what men say to each other after a fight. They hug it out. And in doing so, they just let it go and walk away. And they're done. Not a good idea to say that to a woman, however. I have found doesn't translate there we see again as soon as Dwight realizes that he is screwed then he is back to his completely jellyfish spineless most obsequious self and oh man I, I know some people that I talked to and some people that posted on the forum thought that this was maybe just a little too over the top and I do agree but it was hilarious and I don't care what anyone says that like goober of drool that was on Dwight's lip when he came up from the floor Oh man, that put me over the edge. It's hilarious stuff. Now, I have to admit that I just started over the summer this past year. I watched all the the first two seasons of Entourage, and then I watched uh, all the episodes of season three. So I missed this. I guess back during 2005 when, uh, when the show was first starting that this whole hug it out bitch thing became sort of an internet craze, and... 
I gotta admit though that I missed it. I did not even get the connection. You know, they even said at the beginning, like, oh, he made us watch Entourage six times. And I was kind of like, well, that's, that's quite strange. That's quite curious that they would do that. Why would he make him watch it six times? Well, I guess this is why the, uh, the payoff with the, the hug it out bitch line, of course, Ari Gold's famous line there. Again, another awesome show. If you haven't, haven't watched Entourage, definitely should pick it up. Michael is right on, on the money. You know, ah, man, I I really wish that I would have caught that line at the time, and I'm sure I would have found it even funnier than it was, like some of the other forum posters had. You know, in the end, again, now, where are we here? What's going to happen with the whole Dwight and Angela relationship? Because he gave up so easily and prostrated himself in front of Michael, and all we saw is Angela's disgusted face walking off, as Dwight was doing this. So is that relationship over? Are they done? Is there any way they can come back from this? You know, could she respect the man at all anymore? Probably not, but I guess we'll see what happens. It'd be kind of interesting to see them then being perhaps broken up and trying to deal with each other in the office. As for Michael and Dwight, well, in the end, they are back to being bosom buddies again. We we see a shot of them sitting in the, the conference room enjoying a bag of microwave popcorn together as Angela looks on forlornly and kind of disgustedly. And not to get all literary on you guys again, but uh, it really reminded me, too, I got a sense of the ending of the of Orwell's 1984 where Winston Smith at the end of the book is just, you know, I love Big Brother. He's back to being brainwashed and and that's how we end off the episode so you know what's going to happen again with that are we going to have any more development of this treachery uh will it come back to haunt us at all for the rest of the season well only time will tell the other two main plot lines that we have running through the episode is of course uh the pam plot line and the jim plot line so you know let's go ahead and head on over to the Stanford office for a moment to catch up with Jim. What have they been doing on their Monday while Michael has been spending a half an hour watching a film? Well, they're uh, a little more high-tech over there. At the Stanford branch, they all play this World War II video game called Call of Duty, and they're all really into it. I'm told it started as a team-building exercise. Unfortunately, I really suck at it. Why did you do that? Just killing Germans any way I can. We're on the German team. Wait, are we playing teams? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I thought of when I was watching this episode is just the fact that, you know, Jim is a, a male, a healthy young male in his mid to late 20s, and I found it really hard to believe that he was so utterly clueless at, uh, at video games. Are there any males out there in their mid-twenties who are so clueless about video games? Well, at least with first-person shooters, Jim Halpert is uh, either the worst player of all time, or he is feigning his suckitude in order to piss off Andy and his other office mates a little more. Now, I tend to think that I guess he just sucks because, I, I mean, and, and we're talking suck to a level of not even being able to turn around in uh, in the game not even being able to shoot someone so it is really quite at a pathetic performance level 
the one thing that we get, and, and other people, again, people on the forums have, have kind of said that this episode to them represented really kind of a low point in a way because, you know, the Jim Pam Index, as they use over at the Northern Attack website, you know, there is nothing in this episode. There is no Jim Pam action whatsoever. And what do I think of that? I'm not sure quite yet what, you know... Are they just giving it up altogether? Are we eventually going to come back to that later on in the season a little more slowly? I mean, I, I realize that we have about 19 more episodes or so left before the end of the year, so there's a lot of room for development. The only reference that we had was Jim reminiscing about life back in the Scranton office and uh, talking about how, you know, they didn't play video games. They uh, they messed with Dwight and and pretended that he had some hearing problems and that was the fun that he and Pam used to have. Again, that's the only reference we have. We have not even really a sense of um, you know, longing between them. Pam in her plot line doesn't mention Jim at all one bit. So the Jim and Pam relationshipers are definitely kind of out of the loop. They're not real happy campers. You know, what do you guys think? Are you on board with this new direction? Are you going to stop watching the show? Let me know. What do you think about that? Because I, I definitely think that this is a real fine line that the makers of the show are walking here because they've spent basically 28 episodes building up this relationship, building it up to a climax a cliffhanger climax in the Casino Night episode. And a lot of people that I've talked to are not really that happy about it, you know, the way that they've decided to go with the third season so far. Now, I think that Jim laid it out in the convention episode and said, you know, why is he not trying? Why is he not calling her? Well, he feels like he tried, and he gave it his best, and she said no. And now it's sort of become a matter of pride. He doesn't want to get hurt anymore. He just kind of feels like he has no chance and he's got to move on. So what we do see in this episode is him moving on. We also see him getting called out for his incompetence in the office. This is not working, okay? We are getting slaughtered out there. It's the new guy. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what we're talking about. See what I mean? We just need a strategy, okay? We're going to set up a trap in the gun room. All right, Jim, are you using the MP40 or the 44? Um, sniper rifle? Snipe what? Jim, are you playing carry other teams? You don't snipe in Carrington, okay? The saboteur. Saboteur. Not, I'm going to kill you for real. This game, the game is over. I'm really going to shoot you. Again, Andy, Mr. Competitive. The surprising thing here, I guess, and, and I'm sure this is intentional with the, uh, the writers, is that they are putting up Josh on the surface seems like so much of a better boss than Michael. You know, he's so much more... Uh, focused on business he's so much more uh, clean cut and you know just kind of like a normal corporate guy he's not getting himself into trouble and everything else but but here again we have michael okay he's watching a 30 minute movie once a week and then we see these guys here in the stanford office going nuts over call of duty and josh himself is obsessed with it and just their level of insanity when they're yelling at Jim about his choice of weapons. You know, anyone that's played an FPS, uh, first-person shooter, in a LAN party or on Xbox Live or something knows how obsessive that these people can be. So Jim, again, is, you know, he's humbled. He's, again, made to be the outsider of the group. He's not fitting in. He is bad at the game. And part of the reason, then, in this episode, I guess, why the relationship fans might be 
appeased is that what uh, what we seem to have happening here is that uh, Jim and Karen are sort of taking over that whole Jim Pam relationship because now we have this kind of starting all over again this sort of subtle little you know flirtatious behavior and sort of little winks and the, the playful banter back and forth with a different person so I know some people you know that's enough to satisfy them that uh, it doesn't really matter who it is uh, they just kind of like that that relationship action in there that that uh, little edge to it but you know I don't know yet I, I gotta say that I this episode, she seemed a lot nicer, a lot cuter, a lot, uh, a lot more um, possibly worthwhile for our boy Halpert there to uh, to get involved in than she did in that very first episode where we just got that sort of really cold talking head where she made fun of him. She just looked a lot more kind of glamorous and a little more attractive in this episode as well than uh, than she did in the first one. Now, as far as that romantic banter, how that builds up, well. Let's let Karen uh, talk about Jim and his Call of Duty playing skills. Look how cute he is. And he's trying to shoot with a smoke grenade. I'm sorry, what are you whispering? No, nothing. You just concentrate on turning around. Yeah, I'm trying. I just... Just tap S, then D. Oh. Any last words? No. What? <laughs> wow. It's like, go bad. Yeah, nothing like a rifle bullet to the head to show that you care. Just like I said, I wanted to bring this up because last week Ian and I were talking about the fact that there, that this woman had no name. She had been given no name, and it was brought up that it was on Wikipedia, and we kind of made fun of that. And, and we weren't saying that we doubted that information, that we weren't making fun of the concept that um, you know Wikipedia sucks or anything, just simply the fact that, I mean, how weird is this, that now three episodes into this, we have not gotten this woman's name. I mean, are they even are they aware of this fact? Are they just editing out so much that they just kind of forgot that they never introduced her to us? It's really weird. I mean, just the fact that we have this big relationship building and yet we don't know her name. Pretty strange. And we have kind of this cute little scene there at the end where Jim leaves and he, you know, does this little mime of uh, throwing a grenade at her and she plays along. That really, really played out like a Jim Pam scene. Again, partly, you know, some of the relationship fans out there, is this, are you rooting for this now? Or, you know, is this something that you're, you're, you can get on board with? Or, uh, you know, is it just Pam or nothing for you guys? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat because I was really looking forward to that payoff uh, of Casino Night and, and what was going to happen. And I do feel sort of empty with, uh, with Jim being gone. And because, you know, as much as Dwight and Michael and everybody else, you know, as much as I laugh at that, part of the reason why I loved The Office for the first two seasons was that Jim was the character I related to. He was the emotional core. And what we got a lot of times was, along with the laughs and the jokes, we got really, truly emotional feelings in there. And we felt when they were happy with each other and we felt when Jim was sad and we felt all these things and we don't really have that anymore it's kind of empty in the middle here of the show and I'm hoping that we can come back to some of that because like I said this first this episode while it was hilarious while the uh, the Dwight and Michael thread was just really hilarious and I, I I do miss that emotional core and so hopefully we can get back to that but um now, what's going on with Pam in the office? Pam's big plot line this episode was just, she's just continuing to reinvent herself. She's continuing to kind of 
build up uh, her own personality because for so long she's been kind of a passive person. She just goes along with the crowd, doesn't really stand up for herself. She's an artist, but she never really pursued it. And now she is kind of starting to pursue that. She's kind of going out and dating people. But she's still just way too uh, malleable where... Kelly is concerned and her big plot line in the episode starts off like this. I felt like I wanted some new clothes. I mean, I just, I wanted to, I just, I felt like it was time to maybe, um, just get new clothes. Time to get new clothes. Again, you know, this is a big thing and and maybe I'm the wrong person to be talking about this plot thread because I'm not necessarily sure this is the same thing with, uh, with guys, you know, getting new clothes, uh, kind of reinventing yourself that all goes along with the same same basic idea. Who are you based on your outward appearance, you know, what you look like, what you dress like. And she spends the episode then in these new clothes and just kind of getting a lot of appreciative stares from the other ladies in the office. And Kelly, of course, delivers this now infamous quote. Fashion show, fashion show, fashion show at lunch. Fashion show, fashion show, fashion show at lunch. Man, is she annoying. But anyway, we have then Pam dressing up in a really nice looking outfit, which leads into, aside from, you know, getting kind of appreciative glances from from Phyllis and, and from Kelly telling her that she looks great and that she should, you know, dress like this more often. Uh, we also have uh, this guy that we last saw a few episodes back popping up into the break room just by coincidence. Hey. Hi. You, you look nice. Thanks. Isn't that like your third soda today? Despite the fact that Kelly is trying to bust him out, Roy is again in the picture. Now, are they trying to get these two back together? Is that where they're going with the with the show? I'm not sure. I'd like to think that, that she is obviously better off without him, and I think all of us would rather that she be with Jim, of course, but I, I don't know. They're making a play this episode, this season, with trying to make Roy a better person, and could he change? Could he um, become a more enlightened guy, and could he appreciate Pam and, and let her do the things that she wanted to do? Well, I guess only time will tell. Now, unfortunately, what Pam learns from wearing the nice clothes around the office is that it's probably not a good idea. What? I'm just looking. Please go back to your desk. Wait a minute. Well, I remember why I dress the way I do at work, but I'm going to keep the clothes. I mean, it'll just be cool to have some after-work clothes that aren't pajamas. And another just creepy as hell Creed moment now. That that makes, I think, every uh, every episode this season so far, we've gotten a creepy Creed moment. And I haven't really played those lines as, as crazy and, and funny as they are. And if you saw the deleted scenes this week, man, oh, there's nothing that can top that. I mean, that is the ultimate insane Creed moment. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. But, man, good old Creed. Creed stands there, stares at her, creeps her out, and... Uh, and makes her button up her button on her clothes and, and change back to her dowdy, normal, typical office outfit. Her comment there at the end, you know, it, it's nice to have something besides pajamas. Anyone that's worked a nine-to-five job or, you know, I work in as a teacher and, you know, my first response, that is, you know, you come home at four or five, whatever, six o'clock, and you just feel so drained and so just dead tired and so emotionally wiped that uh, that's, you know, that's all you do. You go to work, you come home, you put on the scrubs, uh, you watch TV, you eat dinner, go to bed, and then you do it all over again. And again, this is part of hopefully 
her blooming or developing into uh, someone who is more of a authoritative woman, you know, more of an aggressive person out there getting what she wants. And so, you go, girl. And speaking of the deleted scenes, let's uh, let's take a listen to the deleted scenes this week. And um, as I said, there's some doozies, and man, we're going to have to talk about this when we come back. So here we go. Take a listen. Okay. Hey. Is everything okay? It is not your business, Dwight. If the branch is in trouble, there are things you can do. What do you know about management, Dwight? I know that we need to cut costs. We could fire Meredith. That's a big cost. Not firing anyone. Creed might be living here. We could charge him rent. What? Four nights a week, I sleep under my desk. And then three nights, I stay at my place in Toronto. They don't know about this job up there. It's a welfare state. Beautiful countries, both of them. Here we go. Everybody, you know what? It dawned on me that we were all in there watching a movie together before we were so rudely interrupted. So, let's get back in there. Come on. Movie Monday! Come on. Stanley, let's go. I'm on the phone. Ryan? I'm pretty sure Jan said that we're not supposed to. (sighs) Okay, well, we had scheduled this time to watch a movie together, so I guess I will just go play some online Scrabble. The Schrutes are a very loyal breed, but I also have Mannheim blood from my German grandmother. And the Mannheims knew when to cut and run. No sense going down with a losing regime. But the Schrute blood, it's amazing that when these two bloods mixed, that the whole thing didn't explode. So... She sleeps with them, but she is still in love with the head surgeon, uh, the McDreamy guy, and she starts crying. But the dorky doctor, he's in love with her. Dunder Mifflin, this is Pam. Uh, Sure, I'll get him for you. It's Jan for you. Really? Yeah. I may have, a few weeks ago, faked a call from Jan in order to get out of a synopsis of Navy and CIS. Since then, Michael's been suspicious. Well... Someone's left out in the open, taking a little siesta. That's not smart. Yes! Finally killed you! Hey, Jim? Hey, Jim. How's work going? Pretty good. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I've got to see Josh right now, but remind me to tell you what Dwight said to me earlier. Okay, you're going to get a big kick out of it. Okay. Things are a little bit different here in Stanford. It's not bad. And things are a bit different here in Stanford, and that's kind of what I was talking about before, is this this fact that, um, you know, we hear Dwight talking about how, oh, Jan has an in for him because she dumped him and all this kind of stuff. You know, our initial response is to just blow that off and say, yeah, you know, that's just Dwight, that's just Michael. She is picking on him. Look at that. I mean, she goes to Stanford, and it's all cool. You know, oh, hey, Jim, you're playing your game there? Oh, cool, nice, whatever. And then Michael, again, his little pathetic one half hour a week meeting for movie watching is just deemed so ridiculous and the, the responses is just so over the top and she basically reams him out and and, and uh asks that she need to get a 14 a year old girl in here to babysit him and all this kind of stuff so definitely not a fair response between those two different branches and the and the different things that they're engaging themselves in now yeah let's go back to talk about that creed scene man last in the casino night episode when creed mentioned the fact that he was going to donate his winnings to the local soup kitchen um a lot of threads kind of popped up with you know is creed homeless well i guess we have our answer creed is indeed well he's not homeless per se but um (laughs) spends four nights under his desk tuckled away like george costanza under there, you know, showering with wet naps and various things. 
and then spending three days in in Toronto in order to collect his Canadian welfare. Man, I don't. I, at this point, I don't even know what to do with this guy. Um, they're sort of making him to be so nuts, so insane that. Uh, Part of me is glad that some of this stuff is getting cut out of the show because it's just, I don't know, it's just almost too much over the top. As for Dwight and his Mannheim blood, I can only wonder what regime that they uh, they cut their losses with and uh, and escaped. We last heard of Dwight's German grandmother back in, again, in the Take Your Daughters to Work Day episode where he told his uh, wonderful bedtime story about the the crazy guy that came and and cut off the kids' heads with the scissors or what have you. So good to see Grandma Mannheim back in action here. The thing with Pam and Michael, I, I, I only can assume that that was supposed to be the cold open for this episode because it really doesn't have anything to do with anything else. And I, I do think it's sort of interesting that they have uh, Michael giving a synopsis of Grey's Anatomy, which is pretty much killing uh, NBC at the uh, at the nine o'clock eight o'clock central time slot this year so sort of interesting we all know people that do that kind of thing at work all the time i find it funny i always find it funny that michael just you know no matter what he does now he uh he's not sure he's paranoid he's uh thinking that pam is trying to just get rid of him which she probably really is uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fax. Oh, yeah, this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? You have to. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get a fax this morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the one. Why oh, didn't, uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Well, first off, I kind of want to put this subject to bed because uh, I've mentioned it in the last few episodes and I guess that goes to show you why I'm just some hick in racing Wisconsin and not uh, a Hollywood power player because I just don't understand ratings at all now NBC has despite the fact that they've constantly come in third place in the last three weeks uh, NBC came out the press release this week that said that um, the office is in fact the number one show uh, during its time slot among males age 18 to 34. So I guess that is definitely a good thing, uh, since that is the most sought-after demographic. You know, if that's the number one show there, then uh, they're still going to be doing just fine. They're going to stay on the air, even if their overall ratings aren't quite as high as some of the other shows. They've also, in the last few weeks, built uh, built their audience. Uh, they've built on their audience from last year during that same time slot. So, you know, again, numbers might not be uh, telling the true story there, but apparently the show is doing well enough and is successful enough that uh, NBC is quite pleased. So uh, that's good news for me. Last week we had uh, an AP article about John and Jenna and... Uh, the Jim and Pam relationship that had, it was basically in every newspaper in the country, I think, last week. And again, kind of a little funny on the heels of the fact that they're really just kind of not dealing with that relationship right now at all. And uh, they spent so much time over the summer, as we talked about before, uh, promoting that, you know, will they, won't they, what's going to happen after the kiss thing. And um, there is no really any more Jim and Pam right now. So if you tuned in wondering what happened to Jim and Pam, well, they aren't interacting anymore, so not sure what to think about that. But uh, in that AP article, one of the interesting little 
bits of information that we got was just the fact that um, Jenna mentioned that she at one point auditioned for the uh, lead role in Alias and uh, unfortunately did not receive the part. She's just in her words, she wasn't uh, super hot sexy enough to play it off, but uh, could have been interesting. Last week uh, on the website AfterElton.com, uh, which is a, a website that seems to be promoting or um, spotlighting gay characters in, in the media, did a little interview with Oscar Nunez, who plays Oscar on the show. And, uh, of course, after the gay witch hunt episode, Oscar's character is now one of those very few gay characters in primetime television. The article itself, the interview itself, if you want to look at it, uh, check it out, check it out. But, it, you know, all in all, it was actually pretty, pretty weak, in my opinion. Just kind of a lot of silly questions about, you know, are you going to have a three-way with Michael and, and some other kind of really goofy stuff, which Oscar just kind of deflected. Now, the main thing, I guess, is that, as you guys might have noticed, that Oscar's character on the show mentioned the fact that he's going on a three-month paid vacation, and Oscar the actor is also going to be gone from the show, and, and they did this on purpose because Oscar is, right now he's getting together a show for Comedy Central, which is supposed to air in 2007 called Halfway Home, which is about a bunch of characters who uh, are out of prison living in this halfway home, halfway house, while they're, you know, rehabilitating, and he mentions the fact that he just wasn't getting the parts that he wanted in Hollywood, and so he took matters into his own hands to develop a show that he thought was uh, going to fit that. So good luck to Oscar. Also this last week, we had a little article in the Stanford Advocate newspaper, which you can find at StanfordAdvocate.com, where um, they talked about how the office is now including Stanford in the show. It says that uh, to create the fictional Stanford branch of Dunder Mifflin, the production staff of The Office contacted Stanford's real-life Chamber of Commerce. They asked about where Stanford workers might eat, had the Chamber send items that might make it onto the desks of the Stanford office, things just coffee mugs and other items emblazoned with the logos, logos of local companies. Apparently, Paul Lieberstein who is probably better known as Toby, is one of the main writers on the show, and he is from that area. And anyone in the area or anyone that wants to create an office locations tour, uh, the exterior shots that we got of the Stanford office were taken at the Stanford Harbor Park office complex, which is located at 333 Ludlow Street. I wanted to get into this a little more later on because uh, Ian sent me uh, a week or two ago an article that was on Slate.com that talked about how... Um, with the success of the U.S. version of The Office, that a lot of different countries, uh, a lot of different cultures are creating their own versions of The Office. Because, like, in France, they, they attempted to play a dubbed version of the British show, and it just tanked. It just it didn't connect with the French audience. And so just like with uh, the American Office version, we're seeing uh, various remade versions. There's a, a French version, there's a German version, and there's also a version that is uh, airing in Quebec, which is called La Job, which <laughs> features a lot of the same things, a lot of the same characters, um, same situations, but it's set in Quebec uh, in, in French. The main character is uh, not so cleverly entitled uh, David Gervais. Whether or not that'll ever show up anywhere on torrent sites or on YouTube or what have you, and one of the reasons why they, they said that these shows were, were uh, 
being remade and not just dubbed is because there are a lot of things that are different between our cultures. And as much as uh, we have in common with uh, the people in the United Kingdom, you know, Americans are different than, than Brits. Uh, we have different sense of humor. We have different kind of office. We have different attitudes about things. And, and that's, I think, why people ask me, well, why, you know, why do you like this version better than the other one? Well, that is why. It's, it, it is more American. It fits more with uh, my American sensibilities. And we're finding the same thing with, the, with these other countries. One other thing, uh, and this is kind of old. It's been out for about the last month or so. But Jenna Fisher wrote an article for Esquire magazine, which was entitled 10 Things You Don't Know About Women. And uh, if, you know, if you, it should be easy to find. Just go to Esquire.com or, or do a search online and you can find it. And it's, uh, it's pretty saucy, I got to say. You have our, our lovely Jenna Fisher using some nasty four-letter words and things in there. Kind of a fun read, and I guess it's aimed at clueless males who want to get laid. So follow Jenna's advice, and uh, it's just as simple as that. Now, if you want to, uh, there's also a video of this floating around on YouTube where um, someone on, on the crew filmed on his camera phone, filmed the staff and the cast reading from Jenna's article. So you have you know Steve Carell reading one of these 10 tips, and BJ Novak reading one of the tips, and, and John reading one of the tips. and It's, it's worth checking out, definitely. Let's go to our blog roundup this week um, from Jenna Fisher's blog on MySpace.com. We had just a few bits of information on how they're recording, how they're doing the shows. And Jenna says that uh, the Stanford folks shoot on a different sta- different soundstage. So when I see the final cut of the show, there's a part of it that is totally new to me, just like a regular viewer. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that seems very apparent. You know, it's kind of weird that they again they don't have any interaction with each other. And I, you know, man, I, I really, I really do miss Jim, and I really hope he comes back to our main stage quite soon. Um, one of the other things that she mentions is that the complex has two sound stages next to one another. The one sound stage houses the Scranton set, and the other one has the Stanford set. Um, the Stanford warehouse, the Stanford sound stage also has the warehouse set. And uh, she says, whenever we shoot outside in the parking lot, we use the outside of the second soundstage. And again, she says another fun fact about this episode, I think it's the first one that takes place on a Monday. And I really can't verify that, but, uh, well, Jenna's the expert. From Angela Kinsey's blog on MySpace.com, she gives us a few behind-the-scenes bits of information from the convention episode from last week. Uh, She mentions that in a scene that was cut, Dwight feels bad because Angela is still upset that he's going out of town, and so he goes online and gets her a train ticket to Philly and hands it to her in an accounting folder. So again, some of our questions that we had, was it her idea, whatever was she expected, uh, I guess that clears things up. One of the other things that she said was that the uh, that whole fly scene where she waved at a fly in the talking headshot was just based on, again, real uh, a real fly being in the room, and she kind of messed around with it on character, and they decided to kind of go with it. So let's talk about next week's episode. Now, next week's episode... Uh, was supposed to be the episode that was entitled The Initiation, which let me let um, B.J. Novak talk about what that was supposed to be about. Now we have a clip from an upcoming episode. Which one? What's happening here? This episode is, um, this is the one I wrote. Oh, cool. Um, this is coming up uh, a week from Thursday, and this is from an episode called The Initiation, in which Dwight decides it's um, his turn to initiate Ryan 
as a full-time employee, and uh, he takes me on my first sales call. Let's take a look. See, excited? Yeah. Very excited? Yes. I'm very excited. Extremely excited? Just very? That's cool. I have spent a year here. And I mean spent. Like you spend money. Although if you spend money, you receive something in return. I lost a year here. Like it fell out of my pocket. And I have to commit or get out. So Dwight's the top salesman in the company. And he's taking me on my first sales call today. And um, I'm excited. I am very excited. So that was supposed to air on October 12th. Now, apparently... Uh, this episode also was the one where we were going to see Dwight going to his beet farm. We were going to see Cousin Moe's. Uh, we are going to see, uh, apparently, that this has something to do with Amish country. And in light of the Amish school shootings that took place this last week, apparently NBC decided that they weren't going to air it, that it was not sensitive to air this episode during this time. So instead, it's going to be pushed back a week. And uh, what we're going to get next week, then, on the 12th, is an episode called Grief Counseling, where Michael forces his staff to attend grief counseling after the death of his former regional manager. Um, now, whether this is Ed Truck, uh, the guy who was seen in the carpet episode from season two, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm assuming that it is. Uh, and Michael really kind of hated that guy. You know, it, it played it out like he was the worst boss ever and that he never wanted to be like him. So why exactly he's making everyone go to grief counseling I'm not quite sure. You know, again, is that better than the other one? I don't know. Uh, Martin Sang, one of our listeners to the show here, wrote in and said that he was kind of baffled by the fact that they replaced one episode uh, with another, which is still about someone dying. And so, I don't know. I guess just trying to do their best to be sensitive. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Alright, emails for this week. Um, this comes from Eric, posted to the uh, That's What She Said blog page at That's What She Said dot Libsyn. Dot com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. And Eric says, I agree with Ian that the reason Jim is so nice to Michael is that Jim is just a really nice guy. And even though some of the stuff Michael does is awful, he knows Michael does not have bad intentions. I'd love to see Michael be the one through some unintentional blundering that helps Jim and Pam get together. It would be payback for the kindness Jim has shown him. You know, yeah, I agree with that. You know, Jim is just a nice guy. Um... Michael's just kind of the kind of guy that you go, you only have so much patience for, though. So hopefully something nice will happen with that relationship. And again, then we have uh, from Megan also posted to the blog page. She says, I also like the idea of Michael helping get Jim and Pam together. I can see Michael having one of his few sane moments of advice for Pam like he did for Jim at the end of the booze cruise. Also, I thought it was a great idea to have you guys interview some of the mods from the Office fan sites. It'd be really interesting to hear about their thoughts about the show, etc. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, this last week, I uh, I sent an email to James at Northern Attack asking him if he would have the time to be the guest host on the episode this week. And unfortunately, he was too busy with his job and his own responsibilities on his own webpage to do that. But, uh, you know, hopefully sometime soon. Now, coming up at the end of the month, on, I think on the 26th, uh, is going to be our first rerun week. So, you know, uh, whether or not I will do something else or just kind of skip a week with the episode or try to do an interview with one of these people, you know, that's up in the air. I'll see what happens. Uh, This is from Diana, who says, awesome podcast. You guys do a great job with episode analysis, finding things I hadn't originally picked up on. And the iPod montage is sweet. Keep representing all the office nerds out there. Well, Diana, I'm trying my best. Um, I know this episode, just maybe me talking for an hour, is not necessarily someone's idea of of thrilling excitement, and I apologize for that, but uh, hopefully next next week we'll be back with Ian and myself together, so stay tuned. This is then from Mike Pampanella, who writes, Truly enjoying That's What She Said thus far. I love the sound clips because they remind me why I love the show so much. Um... I also like the minute-by-minute breakdown because it's like listening to people discuss great literature at length. Well, uh, Mike is an English teacher as well, and he knows that I'm an English nerd, so glad you're enjoying it, Mike. Uh, Mike also says, I agree with Matt in his concern for the ratings. No matter how good the ratings are now, I'll always be a little we- a little wary because good shows get canceled all the time, especially shows like The Office and Arrested Development that cater to a specific viewer i.e. intelligent ones. And you're right, and I talked about that before, though. Uh, NBC seems proud of the ratings that the show's getting, and, and they seem to be pretty happy. So I think we can rest easy with this one. Whoa. Video iPod. I gave Ryan an iPod. I know this Russian website. You can download songs for two cents a piece. I'll take the iPod. iPod. Everyone wants the iPod. This is awesome. I know. It's totally going to change the way I work out. The iPod. Maybe I should have taken the iPod. I want the iPod. Oh, shoot. Well, uh, this next song that we're going to play this week, I actually found this on Pam Beasley's MySpace page. Uh, she had this set up the other day as her, her song. And uh, all playing aside, this is uh, a song by a band called Prospect Molly. and It's called The Silence. And looking on their website, I when I was listening to the song, it sounded kind of cool and I wanted to check them out. And looking at their MySpace page, they said that they wrote this song uh, specifically after being inspired by the uh, by the show, by The Office and the Casino Night episode. So I thought it would be a good good fit for our show here. So again, this is Prospect Molly, that's M-A-L-I, Prospect Molly with The Silence.
Once again, that was Prospect Molly with The Silence. Well, that's about going to do it for us this week, guys. Join me next week around this time for episode 4.0. Remember, please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com and visit the blog page at that'swhatshesaid.libson.com. Also, if you could leave an iTunes review, I would appreciate it greatly. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. Also, visit Prospect Molly on myspace.com backslash Prospect Molly, where you can listen to and download three of their songs, including The Silence. 
Now, as always, let's let Michael have the last word of the episode. Yep, yep, we hugged it out. But it turns out I was still a little angry, so I felt I needed to punish him just a little bit more. And I'm making him do my laundry for a year. You want to hug it out? No, not really. Let's hug it out, bitch.